Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. We have been hearing a lot um, about uh, child sex trafficking uh, somewhat recently. I've always said and I believe that it is maybe one of the most under-discussed and under-dealt with issues um, in the world and specifically our country. And it is a horrible, horrible thing. And thank God we have people out there doing something about it. Um, My guest today is Alan Smythe. He is the executive director of Saving Innocence, and he's an author of a new book called Men Fight for Me. Uh, And he's here to tell us all about what he's doing. So Alan, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jerry. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's start with um, with your organization, right? So uh, tell us a little bit about um, Saving Innocence and what you do there and, and what we need to know about it. Yeah, uh, Saving Innocence is about a 13-year-old anti-human trafficking agency. We're based in Los Angeles. Uh, our boots on the ground are in Los Angeles, partnering with uh, law enforcement and others to respond around the clock to child victims of sex trafficking as they are um, intervened with by usually law enforcement or others. And then we have a hotline, they call us and we show up oftentimes in the middle of the night to help that, uh, that young girl, mostly girls, some boys, but mostly girls um, out of that ridiculous position they've been put in. And then we walk with them for as long as it takes to get them back on their feet and, and get them healthy and till they don't need us anymore. And, uh, so we, we train and consult around the country as requested. So we're national in that way, but we are uh, local to LA in the way I just described. Okay. So just, just some curiosity about um, specifically the trafficking. Um, obviously, the, 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 the perpetrators are mostly men, and that's where we'll, we'll get into the, the topic of your book or the title of your book and what it's all about, how men... Um, are, are part of the problem and consequently part of the solution. These, these girls being, um, being trafficked, are they runaways? Are they, are, are they kidnapped and ca- taken from, how, what, what do you see? I'm sure there's probably a mix, right? Yeah. The, the traffickers are predators. Uh, they, they conduct their business, uh, by using predatory behavior. And if you look at any National Geographic, you know, sort of video or something like that, you'll see a lion, a predator, you know, laying low in the tall grass downwind. There's a strategy to it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't jump on the big, strong leader of the pack, if you will. He usually waits for the little one who's lost their way, who's a little weak, a little slower, and that's their easy prey. And they attack that, you know, to eat their lunch. And so think about that and human form in, in, the, in the realm of human trafficking. Traffickers are predators. They're strategically waiting for the vulnerable, uh, the ones that are unaware, maybe a little bit weak, and they, um, they pounce, if you will, on that one. And so that, that is, it gets to the question that you're asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these kids, uh, and most of them are young girls, probably 95% are girls and 5% are boys, in, according to our Saving Innocence database that we've worked with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have already been neglected. They've been abused many times, oftentimes in their own home, long before the trafficker ever entered the picture. She was abused and um, treated terribly. And so in some of those cases, she ran away from home 
And now by that definition, she's very vulnerable and that trafficker can see that and he's offering her answers to her problems. Uh, some, sometimes they haven't run away from home. Um, may, maybe they've been put in the foster care system and you know things were so bad uh, when she was young. Uh, the government came in and said, we're going to protect you and put you over here in this foster care system, which isn't designed to protect her in that way. And so they are vulnerable in that way. Mm-hmm. And there are some kidnappings, you know, just off the street, like the kind of horrific, uh, you know, sort of movie nightmare of a child being stolen from a bus stop or something that does happen occasionally, you know, out in this broken world we're living in. But that isn't the way that most human trafficking cases get started. There's kind of a luring in, yeah. preying on vulnerabilities, and and they get sucked in before they know it. Yeah, that that's a great description. I actually just finished, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, watching a documentary on Jeffrey Epstein and all the people involved, and that's exactly what they what they did is they went after vulnerable young women most of the time. Um, occasionally, there were some victims that weren't specifically. Uh, you know, vulnerable, but most of them came from abusive homes, uh, uh, situations, poor, a lot of, not a lot of hope, maybe physical abuse. And um, that's who he preyed on. And, um, and you could, you you really see that. So, all right, let's talk about your book. So again, I, as I mentioned at the, at the top, it's called uh, Men Fight for Me. And I'll actually, um, I'll, I'll scroll the title um, actually, the website that, that if you're interested in, in getting the book, fightforme.net, uh, but specifically, and actually I'm going to put uh, put everything up here so people can see if you're watching. So men, fight for me. So tell me about why you wrote the book, and then we'll get into the title specifically. Yeah, uh, I've been with Saving Innocence almost eight years now. I didn't, I'm not the founder, but I came in when it was still a really young organization. And I began wrapping my mind around this preposterous equation of adult men usually preying on vulnerable young girls. And I'm a dad who has a daughter, and, and, and that hits in a deep way that that could be happening. And You don't have to be a dad or have a daughter to care about this. But uh, I started getting my mind around and I started getting to know some of these younger survivors and there's some survivors on our staff. I got to know them really well, started hearing their stories and it became very obvious what you would suspect, but I began to see it in terms of data. The biggest part of the problem is men. Uh, Most of the buyers are men. Most of the sellers or the traffickers are men. Guess what, guys? We're the problem. And you might be saying, I'm not doing anything remotely related to this. I'd say, well, good. Most of us aren't but we don't get a pass. Um, it's on us because oftentimes we as men have passively looked the other way at exploitive materials, at things that would cause this, feed this dark, ugly beast, maybe looking at pornography or other kinds of things. So I began just getting really stirred up on the inside and and um, why I wrote the book. So I was at a, at a conference, a training on a Saturday at a church in, a, in LA and there's a survivor on the stage along with a couple of our staff members and this amazing survivor was telling her story. And she said, after five months, uh, I could no longer fight for myself. I gave up. And then she said this really strong statement with which rattled me, which caused me to write this book. And she said, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. So that just lit a fire inside of me because, you know, here's this 
amazing, beautiful young woman saying, I needed someone to fight for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'll fight for you. Yes, I will. And because I, I was stacking it up on top of the experiences, the, the problem is men. Well, I'm a man. I can challenge men in a way that women can't. Um, in a way, maybe a wife can't challenge her husband in some ways. And whatever that is, I, I have a voice. The problem is men. I'm a man. I've seen in great detail what this problem is. There aren't a lot of men out there that are deeply involved in this anti-trafficking work so that our voices are are needed. She didn't say I needed men to fight for me. She said I needed someone to fight for me. But later on, for the longest time, the book was entitled Fight For Me. And our book consultant who helped us get us across the finish line said, why don't you add the word men? It'll show up in kind of men's searches and things like that. You know, people are looking for a book for men. And that has actually happened. Uh, I've, I've received a number of emails from readers that said, I was looking for a new book to, for men. You know, the title caught my eye. It's a perfect mission accomplished. <laughs> and so the, the, the goal was I, I'm not coming at it from, from an academic kind of a view and it's sort of an expert kind of view, not like that at all. It's conversational. Guys, come with me on this journey. I want to introduce you to some friends and some heroes along the way. We're going to share with you what I've learned about this process. I'm going to challenge you in the process to look at some things and maybe live differently uh, as a good, strong man. We talk about authentic masculinity and how that feeds into the cure, maybe of all problems, if we could get men to be strong and stand up. And so it's kind of covering a lot of ground in the book, but that's the essence of the title and and how it got started. Yeah, that's great. Now your co-author, so your co-author of this, your co-author is Jessica Midkiff. Um, Tell us a Mm -hmm. little bit about her. Yeah, Jessica was one of those survivors of trafficking that I got to meet early on. She came to work at Saving Innocence just after I did. So I've known her close to eight years. She's become really like a member of our family in a lot of ways. And um, she experienced 10 years of trafficking herself from the age of 11 to 21. So her entire basic childhood got stolen and was trafficked around the country in horrendous ways. And she tells her story pretty courageously in the book, the whole chapter is just her telling her story. And then she speaks into the rest of the book after she does that and gives her, you know, expert point of view. Um, it's really a, a powerful story. And she's going on the record in a way she hasn't done before for this book because uh, her and I, you know, gained a, a strong rapport and, and a trust there. And so we did that together. And so, um, so obviously it's not just, underage right we sometimes think of trafficking as underage and obviously it's that's part of it um but it's but it's people that are of of adult age maybe young but but young adults uh you had mentioned a little bit earlier about pornography because you you had said that you know men may say well i don't you know i don't traffic i don't go you know i'm I'm not involved in that um but you had mentioned uh, pornography and how I guess, you know, that that has a part of what leads into this. So maybe, maybe explain that a little bit further. Yeah. Um, uh, pornography is a huge on-ramp to exploitation and trafficking. In fact, it is exploitation trafficking in a lot of ways. So if you look at the pie chart of people that are in pornography, there's a small slice of the pie. I don't know what that number is, but it's a, it's a minority slice of the pie of people that are participating, meaning they're on the screen, that are adult consenting adults that want to do this. There are some people that would say, yes, absolutely. This is my choice. I want to do this. It feels liberating to me and I make money at it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So what we do know from this work, though, is that the vast majority of people that you see on the screen are there somehow against their will, somehow manipulated 
somehow coerced into that movie scene. And in some cases, and I quote some in the book, uh, Men Fight For Me, there's trafficking victims, which means a trafficking, a trafficking victim, someone being trafficked, has no choices at all. It's called the modern day slavery. And their trafficker has forced them, taken them to go be in some movie set or some motel room, be raped all day. Somebody turns a camera on and now that gets put up on a pornography site. Uh, quote one young lady who mm-hmm. says, uh, every time someone watches me on that pornography video, they're watching me being raped. And that video happened to have multi-millions of views on it. So it absolutely feeds a buyer's. It actually feeds the exploitation, and in some cases, it actually is trafficking is happening in the middle of it. Now, the problem, it, it, among many things, there's no button you can push. There's no banner you can see on the screen that lets you know who on the screen is there truly consensually or who is not. Mm-hmm. And we know that the majority are there against their will. So it's just really tragic. Your average knucklehead guy out there who's got his own problems and his own hurts and his own addictions is participating in pornography. And what he doesn't understand is that he's somehow feeding his addiction or somehow receiving some kind of gratification by watching somebody be raped, non-consensual. It's like, I I don't, if you just heard me say that, guys, I don't know how you could watch, turn it on one more time. Uh, How could you watch one more second of pornography knowing that there's a great possibility that person doesn't want to be there? Non-consensual sex, we know what that's called. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, not only that, you know, they say the first exposure of pornography nowadays is eight or nine years old, oftentimes. So you have little little kids' brains who aren't prepared to see what they're seeing. They don't know what they're seeing. And it's rewiring their brain. And it's rewiring the way they see the world. And now they're going down a particular path. And these are your future sex buyers. Maybe these are your future traffickers. And it's just a whole, it's a tragic uh reality in our country yeah it, very well put and and i think that's what scares me about so much of what's going on now as far as exposing children to all sorts of sexuality in the schools books and things like that and that's why parents are so upset about that kind of thing because kids you know it's bad enough if, if for an adult to experience those things they have effects you're you're absolutely right um you know and one other comment i'll make is that again going back to the jeffrey epstein thing what I found amazing is a lot of these young women who were, who were assaulted by him, um, were they, they accounted, they, they recounted everything and they were horrified and they were, you know, horribly impacted, but they would sometimes keep going back for years and even bring in friends. Uh, and even though they knew it was wrong, but it was because they were sort of trapped they were damaged and other things. And so even if they're willing they're very likely probably manipulated and being used, I would imagine, right? Yeah, there's a there's a, a brainwashing that occurs. I mean, I don't know specifically which document you're talking about, but in general, what I see, there is a brainwashing that occurs. Uh, n- number one, they most often don't have a, actually have a choice. Hmm. to. That's one of the big misnomers, a big myth about trafficking victims is that, well, they're choosing this. They, they, why don't they just run away? And what people don't understand is that, no, they're not choosing it. Nobody goes to the third grade fair, you know, <laughs> career fair with all the people coming around and they, there's no place in there. Is there a trafficking victim and uh, a quote unquote, a prostitute like that doesn't, that, they're not bringing that as a career path. They're not choosing it. 
they're being forced and manipulated and coerced and brainwashed. There's something called the Stockholm syndrome mm -hmm. where the, the, the victim of whatever is happening forms a relationship of sorts with the captor. And then there's what's called a, something they call a chain around the brain. There's not a physical chain. They're not being chained in a basement, but they don't feel like they they can run and they can leave. They don't feel like they have that choice. And if they do push back in that way, they're met with dangerous consequences by their traffickers, sometimes lethal consequences. These traffickers aren't playing. We, we've had kids, young minorities, uh, not my, excuse me, not minorities, minors, that um, have pushed back, have ran away, and these young people have been chased down and murdered. Uh, one was lit on fire in the streets of L.A. Uh, in broad daylight to send a message. I retell a couple of stories in the book, Men Fight for Me, and one of our staff, who was a survivor, talked about when she was 13 years old, and her and her best friend were being trafficked by the same trafficker, the same pimp. And the friend had somehow stepped out of line in some way and did something. I don't know what it was. He drove them both out to the desert outside of L.A. and uh, pulled out a gun and shot her best friend point blank and killed her out in the desert and left. So is this 13-year-old, the one that I, that I knew, is she going to step out of line? She's not handcuffed to some radiator in a basement. Mm -hmm. But she just saw 13 years old, saw her friend be murdered because she broke a rule of some kind. So why doesn't she run away? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you why. Right, right. Um, I think that's an obvious. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, those are tough stories. So, yeah, you got to get the book and read the book to get all these stories. It's, it's shocking. And it's so how, how I, I want to go over uh, two two more topics. Uh, and before we, we finish, we have about 10 minutes or so. And, and ask you about the whole aspect of masculinity. Uh, sometimes if you, in today's age, especially if you ask a feminist, you know, about masculinity, immediately the belief is, is that it's, you know, you hear the word toxic mas masculinity. They think, you know, they want men to be less masculine, so to speak. Uh, what does it mean, ultimately, if someone were to ask, what, what does it mean to be masculine? There's a... A, a tragic narrative that you just described being forwarded out there uh, in the social media realm and otherwise. And the, the, the lie and the myth that's being forwarded is that any masculinity by definition is therefore toxic masculinity. And I want to push back as hard as I can on that and say, you know, the reason why this world is so jacked up and upside down and why people are being abused and neglected and, and trafficked and all the other kinds of problems is that, there are no, not enough, good, strong men standing up to confront the men with bad intentions. So when good, strong men shrink away, the men with bad intentions step in that gap. I saw a little meme or something on the on social media. I don't know if it was a, a joke or an actual stat. It said 80% of all problems are caused by men. And I laughed kind of for a second, and then I quit laughing. I thought, that's probably correct. It might be a small number. Like, I can't even think of a real problem around the world that isn't caused by a bunch of men behind it, mm -hmm. forwarding their power and their greed and their narcissism and, and their addiction and their everything. So we need good, strong men to step up and confront those men in order to begin to right the direction of this society. Uh, we go into some detail in the book and uh, 
we describe, and I even say in the beginning, the introduction part of the book, I say, um, we're going to use human trafficking as the worst example of men gone wrong. But if we can get men right, then we can fix not only human trafficking, we can fix a lot of other problems in this world. So you look at single parent households, it's almost always the men, who's, the man who's missing. You look at wars around the world, it's almost always men causing that to happen. Just fill in the blank. So we define masculinity, one who takes responsibility, you know, one who serves. Like he's not here to give and take. He's here to serve. All those kinds of things. We go into some detail. And if we can get men to live in that way, then um, we'll be in a much better place. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. Um, I'm, I know some of your listeners probably have a faith perspective. I purposely wrote the book in sort of a, quote, faith neutral perspective because I didn't want anyone to self-disqualify themselves. They didn't think this conversation was for them. In the back of the book, there's some appendix and there's a note to the church and other kinds of things. The book is for everybody. I want everybody to grapple and wrestle with what it means to be authentically masculine and what it means to, um, you know, step in for the vulnerable. If you have a particular faith orientation perspective, there'll be plenty in there for you to, um, you know, resonate with. If you're not from a particular faith perspective, there's plenty in there for you also to resonate with. So it really is a book for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Really great points. Um, I think that we, we, we know, we know what is, uh, we, we know what those that are attacking us, uh, wants by what they're attacking, right? They're attacking masculinity. They attack femininity. They attack children. They're going after the innocence of children. And so that always, you know, tells us what is right and wrong. So how do we, how do we fight this? How do we fix it? Obviously what you're doing, uh, in, in there's plenty out there, but what can sort of the average person do who's listening, uh, who's angry at hearing all this, what can they do to, uh, address this? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And if if you're out there angry because what you've heard, that's good. That's a sign of life. That's good. I'm glad you're angry. I hope you don't sleep well for a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of that darkness, in the middle of that restlessness, um, you'll find a place for you. It, uh, we're not. I'm not trying to, it's not a cheap sell for the book. I think it's a really valuable book. A lot of survivors have spoken into it. There's a lot of resources, even in the back of the book. Um, there's things you can do, 10 things you can do today. There's bigger chapters about what you can do. But just to answer that question, um, I would say step number one is to get more educated. I humbly submit to you, men fight for me, go to fightforme.net, go to savinginnocence.org. Watch the videos that you'll find, look at the resources, get a little more educated what trafficking and exploitation is, what it isn't. And somewhere in there, you'll find something that resonates with you that you can that you can handle. Let's just say, for example, you're a graphic designer by profession. You don't have to go learn graphic design if you're not. But if you already know all that, contact an anti-trafficking agency near you. Google it. Anti-trafficking agency near me. I don't know where you live. I bet there's an anti-trafficking agency somewhere. Contact them. Hey, I do some graphic design. Do you need some help with your next flyer or something like that? Like, Use what you already know and what you already do and use that for the good of this fight. I don't know what you do. If you have a lot of money, great. Become a donor. I bet you, I bet you they're short on resources, whatever agency you want to look at, become a donor, a monthly donor, uh, offer your skill, your talent. And if you don't have any skills or talent, you don't have any money, go to their website, see if you can figure out how many staff they have. Maybe there's eight, eight staff or 10 or, you know, whatever the number is. Next time you go to the grocery store, buy 10 Starbucks gift cards, $10 each or $5, whatever, anything, send it in the mail with a little handwritten note. Thanks for doing what you're doing. We're cheering you on. That'll mean the world for the people that are on the front lines, 
you know, working really hard all night long, oftentimes on behalf of these, um, you know, victims of trafficking to know that there's people out there that care about them, that notice them, that see them. And then take another step if you want and see if you can have an email or a coffee meeting with whoever's running the organization. Tell me more about, you know, your story. I want to hear, I might be able to help, but I want to learn some more. So step one, learn, read a book or two, watch a video, and then just find an organization find some small need that you can meet. And in the process, you'll find a good place where you can fit. Yeah. Great advice. Really great advice. Everyone has a potential role, regardless of your talent or ability. What, what can, um, what is law enforcement doing or not doing uh, in regards to this problem? Well, that would be different based on every city and town that you might be in. Uh, here in LA, we've got a great partnership and a great uh, connection with our law enforcement partners. Um, we work side by side with them and to, you know, to solve this crime from happening. Uh, other, other places, uh, there's not as much of a partnership out there. Um, we get contacted all the time. How are you guys doing what you're doing in LA? That seems like different and it is different. I would say generally speaking, even in LA, there's less and less resources being put towards law enforcement. There's some kind of narrative out there in, in the, in that space that says less police is better than more police or better police. Let's just have less of them, which doesn't make any sense to me, but that's for another podcast. Um, so there are less resources and less officers out there pursuing this crime, building these cases. Um, but the ones on the ground are doing everything they can. Uh, we just need our elected officials to empower them with more resources. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that's the case for a lot of, a lot of crimes out there is, is we need more, more resources and probably in this, again, this is me speaking, not you, less resources being spent on other absurd areas, uh, through government and more resources spent on helping people truly like, like your organization is a, is a nonprofit, right? I mean, it's not a government agency. So you depend on, uh, as you said, donations or help in any way that people can. So you can go, you know, fightforme.net. Uh, you could look up, you know, again, uh, saving innocence and, uh, find out how to connect and how to help again, however, your talents, um, are, are available and, and able to be used. So, uh, Alan Smythe, again, executive director for Saving Innocence and co-author of Men Fight For Me. Uh, please check him out, follow him in his organization and help and definitely get the book. It, it is well worth it. Trust me. So, Alan, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for using your voice uh, as part of this solution to this plan. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fide's Podcast. Please check out all my podcasts and all the different podcast apps on YouTube, on Rumble, on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, on WhitehorseMedia.com, and on WHK Radio. I know it'll be alright. I know when the world's so come around So save your breath So what's wrong my tongue Save your voice Speak for everyone It's the same story, different day All this time everything way I've been thinking about how I've been so Never thinking about the things that I might have missed 
little bit before I start getting into the same routine.